Please be seated. Good morning again. First they came for the transgender youth, and I did not speak out, because I am not transgender. Then they came for the gun control advocate, and I did not speak out, because I do not have a gun. Then they came for the women, and I did not speak out, because I am not a woman. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. With apologies to Lutheran pastor Martin Niemöller, I've updated his post-World War II confessional poem to try to capture the news of the week, because I fear in my heart that we could find ourselves in that same slippery slope as Germany in the 1920s and 30s. There's so much division. Everything is happening so quickly, it seems like there's no chance to stop and gain perspective. Plus, there's a nagging sense of inevitability that things will get worse before they get better. You see, the logic used to take away a woman's right to her body is the same logic that can and probably will be used to take away things like contraception, trans rights, and gay marriage. So there really is a sense of then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. In this morning's reading from Galatians, Paul is speaking to a church in Galatia sharply divided over the issue of circumcision. It is, as far as I can tell, the first and only time the church was divided over issues of men's health and their bodies. Sadly, this is not the case for women's health and their bodies. The expected news of the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade was finally released on Friday. I know the last thing that's needed up here is another man's perspective on women's choice and abortion, but here I am. See, it's an extremely tender issue. The very fact that I bring it in here into our sacred ritual is going to upset many of you. I'm sorry, but something needs to be said, you know, before they come for us. Cynthia Kittredge, who's a dear friend and dean of the Seminary of the Southwest, shared her perspective on the court's decision and what we're called to do in an email she sent out Friday afternoon. She opens, Today the Supreme Court issued a ruling reversing the 1973 decision that established the constitutional right to abortion. While we do not yet know what this will mean state to state, it is clear this will have immediate implication for the lives of women. I want to acknowledge the strong feelings this will arouse for many in our community and to ask us to remember that here, as elsewhere, there exists a wide spectrum of strongly held convictions about how to evaluate this change. Please exercise empathy and care for those who are impacted by this decision and be mindful of the personal and sensitive nature of this subject. I think that's really good guidance to start with. I think it's really critical for us here at St. Peter's where we too have a diversity of opinions. So as we wade into these turbulent waters, she gives us more direction. She goes on to write, since the late 1960s, the Episcopal Church has affirmed that all life is a sacred gift from God, and that there are situations in which abortion is a tragic but faithful choice, and that because of this, the Church supports legal access to medically safe abortions. In so doing, the Church has avoided the stark pro-life, pro-choice binary and has balanced affirmation of life with the reality of responding to complex human situations. Like it or not, a foundational part of being an Episcopalian is the recognition that abortion is a tragic but faithful choice. 
It is a tragedy, as the loss of all life is a tragedy. The war in Ukraine is a tragedy. But they are not, to use more familiar church language, inherently sinful. Not always, anyway. Now, for many of us, I know this is a hard pill to swallow. And I'd rather avoid the topic entirely than speak it up here from the pulpit of all places. But speak to it, we must. Support for the women's right to choose is foundational to the modern Episcopal Church. More embedded, if equally controversial, than the Church's support for same-sex marriage. The Church's General Convention adopted this position in the late 1960s and affirmed it twice in the 70s, and again six times in the 80s, and seven more times in the 90s, and so on. Which is not to say we're pro-abortion. Far from it, our core affirmation is grounded in the sanctity of life as a sacred gift from God. It is a tragic but faithful choice. I suggest it's that we don't think of it's the remit of a bunch of mostly older white men in state houses in Congress to legislate against it, or Supreme Court justices either. In 1994, the General Convention adopted the following. This convention expresses its, quote, unequivocal opposition to any legislative, executive, or judicial action on the part of the local, state, or national governments that abridges the right of a woman to reach an informed decision about the termination of pregnancy, or that would limit the access of, of a woman to safe means of acting on her decision, end quote. So what do we do? I realize I'm one of Conway's few preachers espousing this position this morning. Others may be gloating in the decision or preparing for the next culture clash. And I think the most important thing is that we not break our communion with others, others who disagree with us, and especially those here at St. Peter's. As Dean Kittredge wrote, is a highly, highly charged issue with strongly held convictions on all sides. In our diversity of thought here, I think we at St. Peter's can lead the way forward on this issue. As we work together through our own diverse beliefs around this, in the context of the love that we share and feel, we can make difficult statements. We can open ourselves to others' perspectives, others' opinions, in a way that's impossible to do at the larger national level, which has been filled with hot takes since Friday morning. We push ourselves to a higher ground, and from that vantage point, we realize that community is more important than anything. See, Paul's entire letter to the Galatians can basically be summarized with something to the effect of, it's not worth becoming divided over. And Paul, in his snarky way, might add something like, so get over yourselves. Whether it's circumcision or what we eat or how we pray, Paul's effectively saying it's not worth becoming divided over. Get over yourselves. And then he might likely add, be united. Be free in Christ. In today's reading, he boldly reminds the Galatians, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this passage from Galatians is often cited for its detailed lists of the works of the flesh counter-imposed against the more worthy fruit of the Spirit. Many sermons, including one or two of my own, have been devoted to the nine fruits of the Spirit in Paul's letter. 
But this morning, what Galatians speaks to me is a call to unity. Love your neighbor as yourself. And pointedly, the following command. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. If you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. See, we can disagree with each other, even forcefully, even vehemently disagree, but it must not break our unity, our community, our communion. In the coming days and weeks, I encourage us to wade into this difficult subject with each other and those around us. I'm especially interested in women's voices, since men, as I mentioned, dominated the topic for too long. And on Friday, to start, I asked several women what their reaction was to the court's decision. And the reactions, understandably, varied. One person had never supported abortion and saw her opposition to it of the same cloth as her support for gun control legislation and against the death penalty. She took pride in her consistent view of life and its sanctity. On the other hand, another woman called the ruling a disaster. A younger woman indicated this would create further distrust of men since she'd have to carry the burden if something were to happen. She spoke of a sense of hopelessness. Yesterday, my 32-year-old niece texted me and she asked, I'd love to talk with you at some point about your reaction to SCOTUS and Roe v. Wade. I've decided part of what is so upsetting is that this is done in the name of Christianity, but the people who are most disenfranchised by it are the people we know Jesus sought out and would have fought for. We'll unpack that this afternoon. Another echoed the sense of hopelessness and a desire to provide help and support for the individual in the situation, whatever that situation is, since she felt powerless to change anything on a national level or here in Arkansas. You see, perspectives do run the gamut, and that's a good thing here at St. Peter's. We encourage and live on a diversity of thought. We may disagree, but as Paul would remind us, we stay in communion. No matter how difficult that may be over the coming weeks and months, know that folks are deeply and viscerally impacted by this. But we go forward together, united in Christ. I encourage us to use this time to be present to the impact this decision may have on folks, and especially women. I have to tell you, not surprisingly, I struggled greatly with this sermon. I knew that it would upset people if I talked about it, and it has. I knew that it would upset people if I didn't. One of the women I spoke with encouraged me to talk about it. Having a man voice their pain helped them heal their distrust of men in general. And I guess that's one way for me to be useful. Now we can't do much about the broader narrative on this particular issue. But I like the suggestion that we focus on the specific individual case. How can or should we be a resource for someone who now faces a damning and dangerous choice here, locally? In our vision statement, we claim to be a sanctuary for all who need it. Are we being called into that mission in a whole new way? Is that what God is calling us to do now, here? First, we support each other in our differences. As Paul instructs, If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. We disagree with each other and with our fellow Christians, but it's not worth dividing over. 
Our freedom in Christ holds us together. I have a feeling we'll face this hurdle, this temptation toward division, more times over the coming years. Some of the topics I raised at the outset are other battles in the so-called culture war, just as it has raged and divided for decades. Through it all, we'll need to keep Paul's, closing, Paul's command echoing in our consciences and in our hearts, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So lift each other up. Speak for the disenfranchised. Don't wait until they come for us, because there might not be anyone left to speak for us. Amen.